Carson, and this is The Balance, Understanding Nonprofit Finance. In today's episode, Natalia Feinstein and Amy Fiore join me to talk about the importance of fiscal transparency. All right. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Balance. Our guest today is Natalia Feinstein. She is the Chief of Staff for Wholesome Wave. Welcome, Natalia. Hi, Amy. Thanks so much. Thank you. Natalia, can you tell us a little bit about Wholesome Wave, who you guys are, what you do? Yeah. Um, Wholesome Wave has been around for almost 15 years. We were founded by a celebrity chef who's here local to Connecticut. Um, We're a Bridgeport-based nonprofit. Our work extends nationally. So right now, a lot of the work we're doing is out in California and also some work here around Hartford, Connecticut. Our core mission is to, you know, make fruits and vegetables more affordable and accessible to folks in need. So, you know, our kind of keywords are we address nutrition and security. It's not about more food. It's about the right food. That's great. And yeah. You know, I know we've started working together about a year and a half ago. And at that point in time, the organization was undergoing a major transition. And maybe just tell us a little bit about that time and some of the some of what's gone on over the past year and a half. I was actually invited to kind of come in and just help. I, you know, knew a board member. I knew some of the work that Wholesome Wave was doing in our community. And we had had a pretty significant just kind of management turnover and, you know, kind of my first priority when I came into Wholesome Wave is really to get a strong sense of kind of the operations of the organization and do a lot of what I called at that time, like cleanup work, you know, and I kind of look back and joke that I was addressing the literal, the water cooler, the water jugs, as well as the fact that we were building an operating budget. So true soup to nuts. And Grand K was an amazing partner during that time. I mean, they really taught me a lot of what was going on. And, you know, that morphed. Like we're we're at the position now where, you know, actually still struggling with the water cooler. (laughs) But we do have an operating budget. And, you know, we do have some really good systems and process and, um, you know, get to kind of focus our attention on some more strategic stuff. And I think one of the challenges that we've worked through over the past year and a half, and I think this is a very common problem for nonprofits of any shape and size, is just getting everyone on the same page and and doing that through the financial statements. So very frequently, just me as a CFO, I will talk to an executive director or a chief of staff or whomever, and I will have conversations with this individual about program profitability or how fundraising's going. And, and I think that, that that can be problematic at times. And I think that was some of what you've experienced maybe as well, or that was just an area of potential growth for Wholesome Wave over the past six months in particular has just been more fiscal transparency. Help us understand maybe some of what's happened. It's fiscal transparency, but it's also like transparency with the right context too. Right? You know, there's a difference between kind of opening up your bank account and saying, these are the bills that we paid this week to, you know, the whole organization, and then really giving people the context to understand, like, this is our financial history. You know, these are some of the trends that we've seen, and these are some of the ways we're hoping to address them and kind of move forward from them. And I think when you can kind of move into that level of statement and then be also able to say, you know what, we're not going to actually show everyone every payment that goes out the door because we've created enough trust in our systems and process that like 
we are managing the financial ship from place of integrity. I think that's an important way to look at it. And I always go back to Amy Fury taught me a phrase that I now use all the time called a culture of philanthropy. I've learned a lot of like buzzwords over my time in the nonprofit world, you know, over the past couple of years. And that's one of them. And that's, that's a phrase that I just wasn't aware of. And once I heard it, it made so much sense. Like, it's not just one person in charge of the finances and one person in charge of generating revenue and one person in charge of, you know, operations, but it's about creating a culture within the organization that we all work on this together. Each of our jobs has a part in that. And that's, that's, been, that's been a key kind of transformative piece for the way I approach our work. I love that. And that is a perfect segue to our next guest. I'd like to welcome Amy Fiore. Amy Fiore is a managing director with Sobel Bixel. Did I say that right? Yeah. Sobel Bixel. Sorry. Sobel Sobel Bixel Consulting for Nonprofits. It's a mouthful. I know. Well, I am so glad to be here. And I love being quoted before I even enter a conversation that doesn't happen nearly enough. So I am Amy Fury. I am a managing director at Sobel Bixel Consulting for Nonprofits, which is a recent merger between two firms, uh, Semple Bixel Associates and Jeffrey Sobel Consulting, and an exciting one because it is taking some of the consultant competition out of the marketplace so that we worry less about that and instead about how to to make our services more accessible to the nonprofits that need them. So thrilled to thrilled to be part of the conversation. Thank you so much. So now, Amy, so what are so I would really appreciate your reactions to some of what Natalia said, and particularly around this concept, and you and I have spoken about this ad nauseum, around the concept of using the financials to effectively bring to bring all different functions of an organization together. Oh, it's so true. And, you know, I I do a lot of training in board development and I always seem to surprise clients when I do this training and we talk about, okay, you do all the work that you need to do to get a board member involved. And then in your onboarding process, the first thing you do is you go through your financials and everyone sort of says, what? No, what? No, I don't want to. We're not going to show them the good, bad, and the ugly at the onset. And it's it's such a mistake. It, first of all, that you look at your financials as the good, bad, and the ugly, but more specifically, it, you know, it's a mistake to not be transparent in this. I strongly recommend that when you're onboarding a new person to your board of directors, and actually anyone in senior staff, you go through the operating budget and you don't need every detail. You obviously don't want to get down into all of the expense lines, but it gives an opportunity to make sure you are showing someone the full breadth of the organization. Otherwise, our human nature, especially if we're talking to some a board member who is sensibly a donor as well, our human nature is to make assumptions about the things that they're going to be the most interested in and therefore only talk about those things. But when you are looking at the numbers rather than the case for support, which has been so finely crafted to direct them into what we think they care about, when someone's a part of the organization and you go through, this is what earned income is, this is what it's actually broken down to, this is unearned income, this is program expense, it gives them the opportunity, first of all, to see, okay, here's the holes. As a board member, I I need to be 
part of filling the holes. And also, I'm not the only one that's a part of filling the holes, that I see that there is a line for individual giving and board giving, but there's also a line for grants and, and you know events, et cetera. And then you also have the opportunity to see all of the programs. I have found by doing this that I have board members who in all of our cultivation process, we never talked about you know this education program that we were doing or you know some sort of niche program that they get really excited about that it never occurred to us. We didn't know that that would be their interest. They didn't know we were doing it and it became their pet project. It gave us this opportunity for them to understand everything. And honestly, if your financials are not in the shape that you are comfortable sharing them with a new board member, that's indicative of a much bigger problem. I think that makes a lot of sense. I want to touch base on this because I think fiscal transparency just completely can reshape the organization for a hundred different reasons. So if you're open and honest about who you are and what's going on, you can actually get a lot more done. But I will say from our vantage point, and we experience this quite frequently, that's like embarrassing. This is embarrassing in our own organization. And I think that this feeling of embarrassment is a real impediment across the sector. And, And I would very much open up that concept to comments, feedback from either one of you. I think we all feel that. And I think we actually, Pulse and Wave also has a, a very a deep and pressing racial equity imperative. So we were doing some internal, you know, racial equity training. We have an, you know, an internal series that we do. And we were talking about the idea of perfectionism. And I, that's when you said that, that's what it, that's what it meant for me. Like this kind of continuous need to strive to be perfect before you show your books to someone right? Like I struggle with that professionally. I don't want to open something or give something to someone else until I've perfected it. Right. Well, that that's not going to work. That's not collaborative. And it, it means I'm holding on to things longer than I should, rather than just putting the, you know, kind of sometimes good enough thing out there to say like, now let's keep working on it. And 100% our finances are like that. Like, We want to make that statement look so good before we share it with someone or have an immediate kind of response to like, well, that fundraising efficiency number looks a little off, but it's okay. Like it is what it is. And we're working on it too. Like, like this is a process. There's not always an immediate fix or solution. So that tendency for us, especially in each of our roles to kind of hold on to things because they're not perfect. Well, if we do that, then they'll never get better, right? Like, because we're holding on to something. Like, we need to kind of, like, use this space to say it's not perfect. But, like, I think that you have the talent and expertise to help us make it better. What I always loved when I was in more of management positions and and, and when I'm associated with, with an auditor and looking at financials, that there is a margin for error. There is a margin for if it's off by this amount of money, you're okay. And I, I remember the first time I learned that, it was like, Oh, well, thank God, you know, that it's, oh, we don't need to get it to the penny. We get it to like the closest thousand dollars. Yeah, that seems reasonable. Okay, let's, let's live with that. That to me is, you know, we, yeah, I, I, I totally hear what you're saying, Natalia, that I like things to be perfect, but it's going to get in the way. And nonprofit budgeting can't be perfect because basically, I mean, reporting, I guess, yeah, if you drop everything, you make it report. But half of the budgeting that I get involved in is my best educated guess within a moment. I once had a board member, I presented a budget, had a board member 
just, you know, just rolling his eyes the entire time I'm presenting the budget. And he finally pushes the paper aside and he goes, I just want you to promise me that there's not going to be any surprises in this. And I said, the one thing I can promise you is there will absolutely be surprises in this. I can't predict the future. That's not what you hired me to do. You're going to have to hire a fortune teller instead. So Natalia, are you using financial statements? Are we, are, are you meeting with your board of directors monthly or even just a finance committee or how are the financial statements used with both internal and external stakeholders? So that's a good question. You know, Brand K does our financial statements for us. We have a very active board finance chair who gets the quarterly financial statements I think that we tap into him to the extent that, you know, we really need some like higher level strategic advice. You know, we're looking at this, we're coming down the pike, like help us, you know, help us see, you know, the bigger picture, kind of help us navigate kind of what that, that longer term vision is. We also share those statements, you know, with the board at our quarterly meetings and we share those same statements with the staff. So, one of the kind of the way we look at our board meetings is that, you know, we prep for a board meeting. You know, we have our committee meetings first. We prep for the board meeting. We have the board meeting where the finance chair is sharing out and Brand K attends that portion of our board meeting. And then we do a direct follow-up with our entire staff um, the following Monday where we share out the financials. And then, you know, either the CEO or myself or, you know, our Brand K rep will come in and answer questions for the staff. I remember earlier in this year or maybe last year, kind of hearing from the staff, like we didn't feel positioned to ask questions or we didn't ask the questions. And there was also like that kind of communication is a two-way street, like creating the environment to say, it's okay to ask questions here. Like we want you to leave this table, both from the board side and the staff side with a full picture of what's going on, right? Because the ability to answer those questions is a good thing, right? Like we should be asked those questions and we should be able to provide an answer or at least an answer that is that says like, we're working towards this, you know, we're working on it. One of the things by looking at our financials that we've been able to see is that, you know, we've had certain habits, right? So how do we, how do we not necessarily undo those habits, but move forward? How do we, you know, really investigate? Our CEO has this, I, I really pick up on people's phrases, but he's, you know, diagnosis determines treatment. So how do you really spend more time on diagnosing, you know, how you've gotten into those patterns and habits um, from the financial perspective? Because I think it all starts there. And then how do you work yourself through the treatment process to move forward and not just kind of put band-aids around things? I'm so glad to hear that that's true because it's what's amazing to me. And I'm working with, I work with tons of clients and especially because I, the nature of my consulting is I, I do a lot of strategic planning and man, management training, management consulting. So I'm usually there for a short period of time. I can't tell you how many organizations just hide all of this from their staff. I actually had a, a board member of a client describe how they didn't want the fundraising staff to see the development goals because if they reach them, they may not be inclined to continue doing the cultivation and the fundraising work that they need to do. And it was, but if they're working toward, you know, the question we ask is, if you're, if you're asking them to work towards a certain goal, how can they do that if they don't know what the goal is? If the goal is, you know, a difference between one million and five million, 
you need strategy to back that up. And without knowing what's being asked, you cannot be successful. And it goes back, Natalia, to exactly what you said before about trust. You have to trust that everyone, trust and cultural philanthropy. Everyone is working for your organization because they care about the mission. I think in, in nonprofit, that is true more often than not. And if you first of all trust that, that they're going to continue working towards the, the goals no matter what, and then you trust that they are, that they care, then you can trust them with the information. I'm so glad to hear you're doing that. Yeah. The work in progress. <laughs> it always is. Well, and Natalia, I think you also addressed this hesitancy and Amy Fury and I have done a whole webinar, multiple webinars on this topic of just, there's frequently a lack of transparency and there's almost like a fear of asking financial questions. There's like a fear of finance. And so actually when we did a webinar, we each drafted a slide on misconceptions of the other function. And so for my slide, for the development function, I put in like a pretty woman with some, it was a little frazzled and, but just a little all over the place. But Amy's picture for <laughs> the CFO was a witch with like it was a long nose and warts. and warts. And I think that that just speaks to just this natural, there is, there's like a natural, I think breaking down the natural tension between kind of finance accounting and and having the the function become more part of the team and more of a storyteller and partner i think that's just really hard to do sometimes and especially in larger organizations when amy and i first spoke i mean i think it was our second com- maybe our first conversation and we were talking about what kind of webinar could we do together i think it was me that said to her when I have been a development director, being called into the CFO's office was like being called into the principal's office. Immediately, it's, what did I do wrong? Well, I know I did something wrong. I don't know what it is, but I know I did something wrong. And that is, and it is that image of, you know, the mean old witch uh, who's going to scold me for, for what I did because I didn't have the information. Because most of the, when I have been in nonprofit organizations and I did it for 20 years, I never knew everything. I never knew the holistically what put the organization together and kept us on track. Uh, And as a result, I wasn't as successful as I could have been, of course. We've been actually working on just kind of that very piece of it. Like how do we create a healthy and fertile environment for development to succeed? Right. Because I feel like that's been one of my observations. You know, I'm kind of relatively new to the nonprofit world, but to say, you know, it's not just can this development person do a good job? Like, is this person qualified at their job? Is, are you giving that person or team of people the right environment to be successful? And are you kind of set, not only setting the right goals, okay, increase our budget to $6 million from, you know, five. I used to think that made sense until I realized if you're not scaffolding that person, you know, in that whole, that whole function, the, you know, the right way, then it's not going anywhere. You know, one of the things we, you know, we have is, and this actually, I think, comes out of hearing the two of you talk, because I remember the kind of like, witch and kind of like, perky female development officer, like visuals. We as a finance committee meet biweekly, and that's our CEO, that's me, that is our development lead, and Brand K, right? So every other week, we're coming together as kind of you know, development and finance to talk together. So we're one team. 
And, you know, I even said, you know, we're kind of looking, you know, we're, we're looking at the end of the year now. We're in July. So I'm thinking about December and I'm thinking about our first quarter. And, you know, we're kind of, we're doing some planning and I kind of turned over Zoom to Allison, who's our, our brand K guru. And I was like, just tell me how much unrestricted money we need. Like, I want to know the number so we can talk to the board about that. So we can talk to the staff about that. So we can talk, start talking to funders. Like, it's not a negative that it's higher or lower than we expected it to be. Let's just talk about the, what the number is. So I have six months to think about how we get to that number. Right. Yes. It's not, it shouldn't be a secret. <laughs> and I, I think if we can have more of an open relationship, you know, with fundraising, with program, the conversation is more, okay, this is the situation. And yes, this is the bad news. But after speaking with Amy, Fiore and her team, this is what fundraising can do to mitigate. And I spoke with the program people and this is, so like, if we can all, if it can be more cohesive, it's, it's just so much more palatable and coming in with a strategy, a cohesive strategy across the executive team, it just, it, it makes it, making it less siloed and more cohesive, I think just really helps kind of push an organization forward. And it also sends really, sends a really nice message to the board of directors. I don't know. I think it just tells a good story. Amy, can you talk a little bit about just like the board component of it? Because that's something that I've really kind of, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying and I'm liking it because there's a piece of it that like internally we're always focused on like cranking through, like working as hard as we can to get this done. And I feel like sometimes we forget to like elevate it to the board to say like, this is how you can help us. Like this is not, and it's not a direct, it's not like we need you to write a check that's also amazing, but it's, you can help us connect out in this way. Like this is our mission because that's like one of those dot connectings that I'm kind of still ramping up towards. I'll preface this by saying that every board is as different as every nonprofit. And there are some that are extremely top heavy and their word goes. Um, And then there are some that are so hands-off, they are a name on a website. And then there's every variation in between. In my experience the most successful board and staff relationship is where the board is really well versed they're they're very aware of what's going on both in the big picture and then also on a day to day they need to be ambassadors to the organization we often say the board needs to be the fundraisers for the organization they need you know we, we love the words give get but the board has to give and they have to get and that scares everybody away the first piece of that that I see most successful is first of all, listening. And that's true with fundraising. Any way we look at it, it goes back to what I was talking about, where you introduce the board to the entire organization to find out what they're interested in on an individual level. That it's every board, if we, we have to recognize that a board is not a walking wallet and not a walking Rolodex. Rather, they are individuals that care and want to be involved. And then there's going to be nuanced differences between how many hours, what involved means for each of them. If you can get a good work. To, so, so before you figure out what you want to share up to them, it's getting a clear working understanding of of managing your expectation of what uh, each board member individually and then the board as a whole is able to and willing to do for the organization. And we do that with board plans. When I'm successful and when there are boards that fill them out, we send a a questionnaire or and ideally meet one-on-one with them to say, realistically, what does the next six months look like for you? Are you, do you really have time to chair this event, blah, blah, blah. And then 
we look at all of that collectively and we realize, okay, this is the kind of board we have. Where do they need to step up? Where do we need them to step back? And I keep going back. I, most of the time I go back to the idea of advocacy. What we want them to do is be really well-versed in what's going on. My barometer for advocacy is when my husband and my children roll their eyes when they hear me talking about story pirates again and my 10-year-old can rattle off the mission. It means that I am doing my job and I always have something new to say because I'm constantly learning something new and I'm also legitimately excited about it. If we can look at our board members, know what they're excited about and continue to feed that excitement, they will ask us to do the work, to to do work for us. They will beg us to be more involved. If we sort of say, no, no, nothing's wrong, everything's fine, all you have to do is write your check and could you just personalize these letters? Then they don't feel engaged. We often say, I don't want to bother you. Um, when in fact they have committed to be bothered. They, otherwise they wouldn't have joined your board. Yeah. And I also think that because I believe it all starts with the numbers, it starts there too. Like how does our mission align? How does that elevator pitch align with what we're seeing on paper, right? Can we keep doing the work we're saying we're going to do? And if we say we're building towards this thing, well, how do we show the trajectory of how we're getting there? And again, that comes back to like strategic finance and development. How are we getting the funds in the door to apply it to that pitch, that place we say we're going? That's a a big challenge. I like to try to end um, these podcasts with for each participant to provide a few tips to other nonprofits in comparable situations, two to three tips around the concept of fiscal transparency, some tips that you've learned over the past couple of years that you could share. Number one, your board onboarding process should include a walk through your financials uh, in order to allow them to see everything good, bad, beautiful, and potential. I actually am going to pick up on Amy's because I think that and I onboarded a new staff member yesterday. And then I talked with my CEO this morning and he was like, I think we gave this person a lot. And I was like, I think we needed to give this person a lot. Like we didn't just do a f- roll right into the finance committee. We did a primer on fi- wholesome way financials, like critical, crucial. But what I'm thinking now is part of that should happen across the board. It's not just because I offered, you know, onboarded a C-level st- a person, Right that the ability to have the financial view, you know, and be transparent about it needs to happen, you know, across job descriptions, right? Not just at that, that kind of like top level. So I'd say, you know, staff onboarding with financials and where everyone fits into the financial picture in mind. My number two is look to your board, lean on your board as ambassadors, empower your board to be ambassadors for your organization. That means giving them access, feeding them information, really building upon what they have expressed that they are interested in because they are there to be part, they are there to support your organization and it's the easiest and most tangible way for them to do it. My second point or my tip is to be open to being uncomfortable and in a gray space. That's gray space is my least comfortable place. 
I found that in working through the financial transparency and, you know, trying to address, you know, revenue and tough situations, the ability to say, you know what, I, I personally don't have the answer, but let's sit at the table and think about what the diagnosis of this problem looks like so we can kind of have a more collaborative approach to the answer and being okay to sit in that uncomfortable moment and think through how you're going to address it rather than having that kind of knee-jerk reaction of I have a problem so I'm going to come up with a solution. That like rugged individualism around problem solving the financials. I love that. Natalia, that's actually like a great way. I think that's a perfect way for us to end. Thank you both so much for participating. This was amazing. listening to The Balance. I'm your host, Amy Carson. You can learn more about our company, Brand K Partners, and what we do at brandkpartners.com. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar, and this episode was produced by David Hoffman and Alex Brower. If you like the show, never miss an episode by subscribing on all your favorite podcast apps, and please leave a rating and a review. See you next week. 